Tonight, what we want to do is we want to make a big announcement which has huge ramifications on our future. Many of you will already know this announcement because we've been planning this for months. Some of you will not know. But like I said before, I want to ask a big ask of you this evening. This evening is going to be very, very important for us because when we celebrate what God has done, we also want to keep our eyes on what God wants to do with us in the future, which is so much, much more. And I'm going to ask you something big this evening. I'm going to ask you to give. I'm going to ask you to sacrifice. I'm going to ask you to put some of yourself and some of your future into this mission. And the reason that I feel confident in asking you is because I know you. I know two things about you. I know, one, that you have certain things within you. You have an inbuilt desire for greatness and for meaning. I know that because that's how I was. When I was a kid, I used to dream of my life meaning something, of being able to do something amazing. We had superheroes when I was a kid. Not like you kids today have the superheroes with your Iron Man and all of those things. In my day, it was just the basic superheroes like Spider-Man, Batman, Wolf-Man, all the animal-based superheroes. And as a kid, I'm eight years old, and I want to be a superhero, and I know that you need an animal, and the only animal that we've got in our house is my brother's pet gerbil, Toby. And so I became Gerbil-Man. I was into my gerbil man outfit. I was into my gerbil man persona. At school, in break time, at lunchtime, I would go and climb onto the top of the climbing frame. I'd take my coat off and just put it back on without my arms going through the sleeves and just do it up at the top so that it flapped like a cape behind me. I would chase the girls, and when I caught them, I'd pinch their sandwiches. And um, (laughs) I was into... The whole gerbil thing, you know, it wasn't very much, admittedly, but I was going for it because I wanted to be someone great. I even had my own evil arch nemesis, who was the evil mum woman. An evil mum woman would do those kinds of things. She had her catchphrases. She would say things to you that all mothers say to their kids, which don't make sense, like, do you want me to smack you? As if you're going to turn around and say, yeah, let's do it. Do it slow. I enjoy the pain. Uh, But she would come against me with her wooden spoon, and I would stand proud and stern against her. I would say, your wooden spoon cannot harm me, for my buttocks are like a shield of steel. And off I would run into the sunset. I even had my own little catchphrase and song. Would you like to hear my song? It's not that good, Uh, but it it went something along the lines of this. I'm going to do it, and then you're going to go crazy with applause, because otherwise it's just not worth my time. But it went something along the lines of this. Gerbil man, gerbil man, does whatever a gerbil can. Here I spin in my wheel. I've got buttocks just like steel. Watch out, here comes the gerbil man. And what I know about you is that you want what I want. I wanted to be gerbil man, and so do you. Maybe not gerbil man specifically, but you want to have impact. You want your life to have significance. Every kid grows up dreaming of something great that they could be, someone great that they could become. All of us have an innate, in, inside of us, a desire for significance, for meaning, for this life that we've got to mean 
something. That's the first thing that I know about you. You yearn for meaning and for something that you can do with your life. But the second thing that I know about is that it's just not about you. You care about the people around you. You, you love the people around you. So let me put it like this. You want significance for you and you want happiness for others. Those two things I know about you. I know that because it's fundamental to all people. We want significance for ourselves and we want happiness. Of course, we want happiness for ourselves and we want all our needs to be met. But once those needs are taken care of, it's not enough. It's not enough just to go through life and be content with the material. We want meaning and purpose and significance. We want our lives to count. And we want the people that we care about, the people that are close to us, the people maybe that we work with, the people that we live with, our family, our our loved ones, we want them to be happy. Because if they're not happy, then we can't be fully happy. But I'll tell you what I also know about you. I know that for most people, when you grow up, it's easy being a kid and having dreams of being a superhero. But when you grow up, you realize that you don't have gerbil powers, that there is uh, just so much in the world that will bang you down to the ground, that will sap your strength, that will rob you of your confidence. I know that many of you, as you sit here listening to me, you struggle with feelings of inadequacy, of, of lack of self-worth and a lack of self-love. And that whole thing about being significant, you, kind of, you get that almost beaten out of you. And I know that as we go through life and as we mature and as we go through the various stages, that circle of people that we want happiness for can tend to get smaller and smaller and smaller. Our lives can tend to get smaller and smaller and smaller. And that's why, for many people, finding faith in Jesus is a game changer because suddenly I see that I might feel inadequate. I might feel that I don't have much significance and meaning. There's maybe not that much that's good about me, but Jesus can do amazing things. And I still want happiness for those around me. And maybe Jesus can do that stuff for me. Maybe Jesus can be the answer. And so Christianity, if you're not a Christian here tonight, if you're just kind of looking in a little bit like John was for that first 12 months of his experience here, then you just need to know that Jesus offers hope for people. And that's what we so, so want. Now, the early disciples, they were in this position as well. When Jesus had been crucified, they had let him down. All their dreams of being significant were brought down to crashing reality because they betrayed him, they disowned him, they denied him, they disgraced themselves. And so their, their dreams for significance for themselves lay in tatters. But Jesus has risen from the dead, and they suddenly think, well, Jesus can do something. Jesus can bring the, the, the goodness to humanity that we one. And the Bible says this. It says, Then they gathered around Jesus and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Everyone say kingdom. kingdom. The kingdom of God is God's dream for humanity. It's how human beings really should live together in harmony, where there is justice and peace, where there is righteousness and mercy, where there are no marginalized, no vulnerable, no forgotten, no one pushed to the edges, where everyone gets to reach their potential, where we live with paradise on earth. And the disciples have this desire, not just for them, but for those around them. In fact, for the whole of their nation. 
the Jews were fiercely patriotic and nationalistic and they had a very deep-rooted sense of national identity. And now that Jesus has risen from the dead and they've seen it with their own eyes, they say, Jesus, is this the time that you're now going to bring God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven to Israel, to our nation, to these 8 million Jews living in the first century at that time? And Jesus says, you don't quite have the right question. He says, it's not a matter of when, but it's a matter of how. You're thinking about when God's going to fully inaugurate his kingdom, fully bring it into completion. But actually, the question that you should be asking is, how is God going to do that? How is God going to bring his kingdom into our experience? Because you may have given up on your own significance, but I have not given up on your significance. He says this, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. In other words, let God worry about the God stuff, you worry about the you stuff. And then he goes on, he says, you don't need to know about the when, you do need to know about the how. How is God going to do it? And he says something which absolutely revolutionized their life. And it's the reason that we're here today. And I want you to read this with me all together, all out loud, as we read Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says this. Let's read it together. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my consumers, soaking up my blessing and only thinking about what you get out of it, passively dipping in and out as my church gets smaller and smaller until it finally fades into obscurity. Okay. Now, if you're not a Christian, you're thinking, wow, it's a kind of an odd verse. If you are a Christian, you'll know that that is not what Jesus says. When we speak those words out, it sounds Ludicrous. It sounds ridiculous. It sounds downright offensive. The last thing it sounds like is attractive or compelling. But the fact of the matter is, that is how so many of us live our faith. We live as consumers. We live as people taking and soaking in the blessing. And right now, the Church of Jesus Christ, particularly in our city, in our country, it's gradually getting smaller and smaller. Worldwide, the church is still growing. It's growing in China. It's growing in South America. It's growing in Africa. It's growing in the most unusual places. It's growing across Iran with the Persians. More Persians have come to faith in Jesus in the last 10 years than in the last 1,000 years. It's growing worldwide, but with us, it's getting smaller and smaller because we have a consumer mentality. And Jesus didn't say to his disciples, you're to be my consumers. He says, you will be my witnesses. Everyone say witnesses. In other words, you want to know when God's going to bring his kingdom. And I want you to know how God's going to bring his kingdom. He's going to bring it through people, ordinary people like you and me, who are witnesses. A witness is someone that gives something of themselves for the benefit of others. You could be an eyewitness. You could be a character witness. You could be an expert witness. But you're always witnessing on behalf of someone else. And it can cost you. And actually, if you look, this is fascinating, really fascinating. If you don't know Greek, I'm going to teach you some Greek. If you look at the Greek of that word witnesses, it's actually the Greek word marchuria 
which is where we get the English word martyr. Because a witness is someone that gives of themselves. The idea of sacrifice is something that is baked into the thought of being a witness. Jesus says the way that it's going to happen, it's going to happen as people who follow me, who get my vision, I'm going to pour my spirit on them and they are going to be the witnesses They're going to contribute. They're going to sacrifice. They're going to give. But God's going to do amazing things through them. And my kingdom that you so much want, my goodness, my new humanity, my new way of doing life for all living beings is going to be enacted through you. And the question that you have to ask yourself is this. Am I a contributor or am I a consumer? Because a witness is someone that contributes. A witness contributes to the vision of God. A consumer merely just enjoys it. So a consumer comes to church because they want to receive something. A contributor comes to church because they want to give something. A consumer wants to engage in God's blessing. A contributor wants to engage in God's mission. A consumer will dip in and dip out, but a contributor will dig deep and go and build for the long haul. A consumer will leave when the going gets tough, but a contributor pushes through, perseveres, and they make the whole thing better. And what we want to be as a church, as a community, Metro, is we want to be a bunch of people who are contributors to God's mission. We want to be giving into this. We want to be witnesses because Jesus has promised to use witnesses to extend his kingdom, to change the world. Jesus says, you can be significant and you can bring happiness to those around you in a way that you've never imagined possible before. We talk about consumers quite a bit here in uh, Metro because it's one of the things that really galls us. Sometimes you may have heard us talk about feelers and feeders. I talk about feelers and people start sniggering at the back, but all I'm really saying with people that feel is that they come to church because they want to feel something. So the prime reason that brings you to church is you want to feel something, you want to experience something. I remember meeting someone uh, in the, the first couple of years of coming uh, as Metro, and uh, this person came along, and I, I tried to engage him. Do you want to get involved? Do you want to take things further? And uh, she just said to me, no, I'm just here to steal your worship. I said, what do you mean? She said, well, in the church that I come from, worship isn't that great, but the worship here is really cool. It really, I really like it. It's on my wavelength. So I just come here to steal your worship. And I said, well, that's refreshingly honest of you. But it's a consumer mentality. It's a feeler. People come to church because they feel the community. They feel the buzz because it's fun being around us because we have crazy cakes. It's fun being around us because we are loving and we're welcoming and people are looking for that. But some people, all they do is they just come for the feels or they just come for the worship or they just come because God's spirit is here and they can feel that. You pick that up and you want to be around. Now, there's nothing wrong with feeling good things. We want to feel good things. It's natural to feel good things in any relationship. Relationship. But if all of your Christianity, if all of your faith is based around just engaging because you feel good about it, then you're not going to get very far. And I'll tell you this, you're going to get to a point where actually something else fits that need that you have to feel 
the community or to feel elevated and, and uh, just encouraged and, and, and spiritual feelings. Something else will come in. And then you'll think, oh, I've got a new boyfriend. I've got a new girlfriend. I've got a new job. I've got a new hobby. I go surfing. I don't need this anymore. Some people are feeders. All they want is just feed me, feed me, feed me. They want to have more and more information. As if the end of the age when you stand before God, God's going to give you a little sheet of paper with some multiple choice questions on it. And he's going to test you on theology. And depending on how well you answer, you get into heaven or not. Some people think that Christianity is all about getting more and more knowledge. But do you know what the Bible says? The Bible says knowledge puffs up. Everyone say puffs up. But love builds up. You don't grow because you get lots of knowledge. And I'm not saying we don't want knowledge. And we take very seriously how we study the Bible. And, and we, uh, we love to dig deep and to go down into Scripture as much as we can. But if your whole faith is about just being fed, uh, you're going to get stuck. And if you go from church to church because you think, oh, I've heard this before. I need to go somewhere where I'm going to hear some new stuff. You are not going to grow. You're just going to get puffed up. Everyone say puffed up. We don't want feelers and feeders. We want finders and fighters. Now, sometimes people will come to a church like Metro because they want to feel something or because they want feeding. And that's fine. Many of you, many of us, we've come into church through that reason. But if you stay that way, then you're actually shortchanging God's plans for your life. If you're not a believer, if you are struggling with faith, if you have questions, you're finding faith, you're seeking answers. You are so welcome here. John's story is our story. It's the Metro story. It's a story of someone that came as an atheist. <laughs> In fact, John would come to us on a Sunday and then he'd go to the Buddhist center on a Monday. And uh, he did that for a, a long time, and he was into all kinds of stuff. And that's fine. That's why we built the church. That's why we started the church. We want you to come and find Jesus. And if that's the position that you're in, you just carry on. There's no expectation on you. But when you find Jesus, we want to turn you into a fighter, someone that sacrifices, someone that gives, someone that is contributing to the vision, the mission of Jesus. So ask yourself and be really, really honest. Am I a contributor or am I a consumer? And so the disciples are just taking all this stuff in. Because Jesus says, you don't need to worry about the God stuff. He's got all that stuff in hand. You just need to know that the Spirit of God is going to come upon you. You're going to get power. You're going to be part of this. You're going to be my eyewitnesses, my character witnesses, my expert witnesses. You're going to sacrifice and you're going to give. You're going to be martyred. This is going to cost you. But it's going to bring the kingdom. And so the disciples, they're like, that's fantastic, Jesus. So the kingdom is coming to Israel. And Jesus says, hang on. It gets even better than that. So if we go back to our passage Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses, not just where you are. He says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Jerusalem? The very place where we denied you, disowned you, disgraced ourselves? The place where they want to snuff us out, shut us up, lock us up? Yeah, Jerusalem. Because I love 
the cities. I love the cities where people gather. And I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in the place that you find it hardest, in your workplace, in your flat, with your friends, with the people that have known you through your ups and through your downs, the people that know all the rotten, nasty stuff about you that really Christians shouldn't do. Yet you start in Jerusalem, but it doesn't stop there. You go from Jerusalem into all Judea and Samaria. Judea. The surrounding countryside. Samaria? What? Samaria is where the Samaritans live. And the Jews did not like the Samaritans. They regarded them as inferior, a mongrel race. They were deeply antagonistic towards them. And Jesus says, listen, my mission goes further. My mission goes forward. You're thinking too small. If you follow Jesus, you have to think big. It doesn't end there. He says, from there to the ends of the earth. And these disciples, these deeply patriotic, nationalistic, inward looking community disciples, Jesus says, I want you to go to the whole world. I want you to go to the untouchables and I want you to reach them. I want you to do great things, not just in your own sphere of influence, not just where your horizons stretch to, but into all the world. Because this is the thing I want you to hear. God's mission is always moving forward. Say that with me. God's mission is always moving forward. God's mission is always moving forward. The thing about the church is that so very often we play it too safe. We go too small. We think too limited. And Jesus says, I have all power, all authority, and my spirit is going to come upon you, and I want to send you further than you think, because my love is bigger than you realize, and my heart, my passion for people is so much extensive, more extensive than you realize. And I want to use you. My mission is always moving forward. And that's why we're going to do what we're going to do as Metro, because we want to get on board with what God's mission is. God's mission is always moving forward. God thinks bigger than we think. We think small. We think, hey, a room like this is so great. We're all here, and it's fantastic. God's mission is so much bigger. So let's look at our city. Before we look at our city, let's look at our nation. I want to show you, this is, this is basically the United Kingdom. Okay, it's an odd graph, and uh, I found this boring the first time I saw it as well. But basically, what you need to understand is that the blocks, of the white blocks on top of each other, they're all different widths. They represent the different age bands in the UK today. This is census information. So the wider, the bigger the block, the more people there are in the UK in this particular age band. So you'll see, I've put it in yellow, the 50s are the biggest age band. That's my people. That's my cohort. I'm in the 50s. I know I don't look it. Right? The 50s. We are, thank you, we are a middle-aged country and my people, in fact, the funny thing was that when I was in my 40s, the 40s was the biggest cohort. We're just kind of growing up. You can see the, um, the children being born are slightly less and uh, it tapers off enormously as you get to old people because, you know, old die. And uh, 
But you can see that broadly from the 20s to the 60s, they're roughly similar. Same number of 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s in the UK. That is the UK. That is the country that we live in. Now, let me show you Bristol. This is how Bristol differs. See how that thing changes. Suddenly, the 20s, it looks like a Christmas tree, you're right. The 20s are huge. Instead of 14%, the 20s are 22%. In fact, when we did the research on these figures with the latest census information, it's gone up since we started Metro. When we started Metro, 20% of Bristol, 21% of Bristol were in their 20s. Now it's 22%. The 20s and the 30s. The 20s and the 30s. The 20s and the 30s are the biggest cohort in Bristol. We have an unusually young city. More so than almost anywhere else in the country. Now let's talk about the church. In the church, the church in Bristol accounts for about 5% of the population. So Bristol's population is around about 460,000 people. About 5% of those go to church. Now, 22% of Bristol's population are in their 20s. Do you know what the proportion of people in their 20s is in church? It's not 22, it's not 20, it's not 15, it's not 10. It's 5%. So 5% of a church, which accounts for 5% of the population, roughly equals, and let me spare you the maths, it's around about just a fraction over 1,000 people. There's about 1,020-year-olds in the church today. The 30s, it's a little bit more, but it's around about the same kind of proportion. That means that for 1,020s in the church, there are 99,000 outside of the church. Put your hand up if you're in your 20s. For every hand that you see, there is 99 people behind you outside of the church. Sometimes people will say to me, Philip, why do you have Metro? Why do you focus on the 18 to 35s? Why do you just do the 20s and the 30s? When I said we're going to do a church that's going to look to reach out to the mission field of the young, I literally had old people, 50s, saying to me, why can't we have a church for old people? I feel like saying... Every church is for old people. Have you seen them? We need a church that will say, Dear God, we want to be significant and we want to bring happiness to others. Because God's mission is always moving forward. And Jesus says to us, Listen, I have called you and I have equipped you and I believe in you. You may feel down on yourself, you may feel inadequate, but I trust you and my spirit will come upon you and you will receive power. When I'm in that cafe with John and uh, I'm witnessing to him and then he starts smirking and I feel really undermined because I think that he's just taking the mick. I didn't realize the power is flowing in Spicer and Coal. The power is flowing all through his body and he's smiling because Jesus is meeting with him. And Jesus says, my mission is always moving forward. I just need contributors. I just need witnesses. I just need people that get it, that understand it, that sacrifice. I don't mind that you feel and you feed. Actually, over the summer, a lot of us have been doing just that. We've been going with our little Christian shopping baskets and doing consumer Christianity around the festivals and all those different places that you go, yum, 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 worship, yum, 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 feeding. That's fine. 
But that's summer, that's holiday. We do that, we get built up, we get refreshed, and then we get engaged back in church, in the mission. God's mission is always moving forward. And so as a church, we are not content with staying where we are. We are not content with being a happy, clappy group of nice people in a science museum where 99 out of 120s and a similar amount of 30s are out there without hope and without God in the world. And so this is our big announcement. Our big announcement is that we are not going to stay stationary. We are not going to stay still. In January 2020, Metro is launching a 5 p.m. service. (laughs) Let's try that one more time. Just imagine that it's some kind of consumer launch. In 2020 January, Metro is launching a 5 p.m. service. We're launching it because we want to create more space. We're launching it because we want to give more people the opportunity to get involved. You see, when you get bigger and when you get stable and when you get comfortable, it naturally lends itself to people being consumers, whether they want to or not. That's just what we get sucked into. But when we go back onto the ragged edge of God's mission for lost people, men and women, it forces us into a discomfort zone where we have to give of ourselves, we have to sacrifice And so we're launching this service. And we ask ourselves the question, what's the best way to launch something? You know, if you think about launching yourself, if you want to launch yourself forward, what's the best way that you can do it? Well, you could take a running jump at something. You could swing from a rope attached to a tree. You could jump at a jump trampoline. We know no better way to launch someone than with a ski jump. That's a ski jump. Uh, A ski jump is our metaphor for launching. We're going to launch in January, and we're announcing it now in September, the 1st of September, because we want to give ourselves time to launch. A ski jumper, what they do is they climb up a hill with a platform on top, a huge tower on top. The largest ones in the Olympics today are 120 meters high. That's 400 feet high. They climb up 400 feet into the air, and then they launch themselves. And you might not know this, but ski, it's not actually a word, it's an acrostic. Uh, Every letter stands for something else. S stands for speed. It's not an acrostic, I just made that up. Uh, It's so that you can remember it. They get up to speeds. They get up to such speeds. When they go up, and these are the best champion ski jumpers, they reach speeds of up to 65 miles an hour when they launch. So a ski jumper launches with such great speed, 65 miles an hour. Let me put this into perspective. The fastest man on earth is Usain Bolt. His world record for the 100 meters is 9.58. Very good, Elliot. We've got a Usain Bolt fan in the house. So Usain Bolt launches himself from a, what do they call them, those things? Blocks, very good. He launches himself from the blocks. Now, he covers 100 meters in 9.58 seconds. A ski jumper launching themselves from a ski jump will do the 100 meters in three and a half seconds. Because the speed makes all the difference. Not only is it S for speed, it's K for know-how. You can't just get onto the jump and just launch yourself and hope for the best. That's crazy. 
These guys, they spend years perfecting their technique. They put their skis in a V to create wind resistance. They down, uh, they just lean in, leaning from the ankles and just gets this perfect aerofoil uh, effect, which allows them to travel distances of over 250 meters, flying through the air, 65 miles an hour, 250 meters, a quarter of a kilometer, because they, they've got the know-how, they know what they're doing. When we launch in four months' time, not only are we going to pick up speed, pick up momentum, we're going to make this term an amazing term. Amen? Amen. We're going to make this such an exciting term. We're going to see so much happening. We're going to pull out all the stops. That's why we've been saying to people, come work with us, come give, come sacrifice, come join the team. That's why we're saying to hubs, divide, multiply. That's why we're saying to people, invite friends, bring everybody along because we want to build up such speed. And we're doing it in a smart way. We've thought deeply and we're asking lots of questions about this and we're going to do it well. But the last one, I, it's insanity. A ski jump is part speed, part know-how, but a lot of insanity. Because by all accounts, you really shouldn't do this. You, you can kill yourself on a ski jump. You can break every bone in your body. It's a ridiculous, ridiculous thing for human beings to do. And when we launch a second service, it's not going to be easy. We could break Metro. This great big gathering that we've got, we could spoil it by making it two smaller gatherings. It's a risk. It's something that we don't take lightly. But honestly, I don't want to be in a church that doesn't take risks. I don't want to be in a boring church because I have a short attention span. I want to see what God can do. And so do you. I want my life to count for something. I want to be able to tell my grandkids probably in about two years' time, the way it's going. Uh, I want to be able to say, do you know, we did this and we saw that happen. It's okay, Kate, not really. Um, But I want to have a story to tell. I want to get to the end of my life and people say, so what did you do in God's great mission for humanity? Well, I sat in a seat and I sang some songs and I consumed everything that I could. I don't want to say that. And I know I'm being harsh. I always say things harshly. You can just filter it down and, and make it a bit more polite. I want to be able to say, oh man, we were a group of people and we changed the story for a whole city. I mean, you should have seen the stats. They were horrible. They were horrible. And it looked like the church was just going to die and fade into obscurity. But God did something so great with a bunch of people and it changed the whole course of a city, a culture's life. You see, sacrifice is really the key to what we're talking about here. And actually, over the next three weeks, we're going to do a whole series called Ski Jump. And we're going to go through S's for sacrifice. K, well, we'll tell you as we go along. But we're going to unpack a little bit more about what that means. But we're asking people, are you a contributor or are you a consumer? And that's why tonight I'm going to ask you something big. We're going to talk about money. Now, if you normally come here, you'll know that we don't normally make a big deal about money. But today, I'm going to ask you to give money, to give sacrificially. 
Some of you, you already give and you're giving to the maximum, up to the hilt. You don't need to give any more. Some of you, your visitors, your guests, you're, you're, you're not part of the community. Please don't feel under any pressure at all. But you know, out of all the community, and there's about 250 of us, only four people out of every 10 give anything to the church. And we just cannot do what we want to do if we can't finance it. Right now, we've just started the process of signing contracts with We The Curious to up our hours from January, going to the second service. We're bringing more people onto team. We're having more outreach into the community. And we need a lot of money. So what we have is um, we're going to do a special offering tonight. I want to show you this uh, pledge form. What's going to happen in a moment is that guys are going to come around and they're going to pass these down the roads. Just take one, pass them along. In fact, while I'm talking, why don't we do that right now? And what the pledge form says is this. It says, I want to contribute. Now, what we want is we want people to be giving regularly. That's the best kind of giving that we can have. You give a standing order um, out of your income that's in proportion with what you earn. Uh, So if you've got a good salary, you can give a lot. If you've got a small salary, you can give less. But everyone can give. Some of you, you spend more money on lattes and lagers than you do on the kingdom of God. And you're going to have to answer for that if you persist with that kind of mentality. God's looking not to condemn us, to drive us, to guilt trip us, but he's looking to invite us in to an adventure where he does so much more because his mission is always moving forward. So it may be that you don't give at all regularly and you just fill in that thing. I'm going to start contributing how much a month. It may be that you already contribute, but you think, actually, this is not a sacrifice. This is pocket money. I'm going to take it to a level where it hurts. Maybe you've got a pay rise or maybe you're just taking your faith a little bit more seriously. You can increase your contribution. It may be that you already give and uh, your standard regular giving is fine, but you would like just to do a one-off gift tonight, then you can do that. The last time we did this, we had several four-figure gifts that were given to us as a church. It's just absolutely unbelievable, amazing. So what you do is, this is a pledge. So you're just saying, this is my intention. You take the form, you fill in what you can. If it's not appropriate, if it's not right, there's no pressure. But you put your name, you put your email, you put your mobile number just in case we we need to contact you about the details. And then you just cut off the bit at the bottom, make a little note for yourself, take this home with you, and then in a minute we're going to put these in bags. Let me tell you how much I want to raise tonight. I want us to raise £20,000 tonight because that roughly, give or take, is the minimum of what it's going to cost us to do this launch. Over the next few weeks and months, we're going to tell you more and more and more. We're going to talk about it in hubs. We're going to talk one-on-one. We're going to talk together as a community. We're going to show you how this thing is going to work out. But right now, we're going to do something that drives this thing forward. 20,000 pounds. Could we raise 20,000 pounds tonight? If you want to go straight to go, then you can go to the website woodlandsmetro.church slash giving. And you could do it right here. It takes credit cards. or If you've got your debit card details, you can just fill it out and it'll be done. Because do you know what? Sometimes it's best to strike while the iron is hot. Now, no, I'm not going to apologize. I am not going to apologize. 
we hardly ever talk about money. But when we talk about money, we really talk about money. Uh, and tonight is one of those nights. Because you sow where you want to go. Because God says, I have significance for you. Don't miss it. And I want you to bring happiness to those around you, not just your immediate circle of concern and influence, but the whole city that I have placed you in. And it's going to take some sacrificial things. You're not going to change a city just by doing what you've always done. What you're going to do, if you do what you've always done, is you're just going to preside over decline. You're going to watch the lights snuff out over Bristol. But Jesus is looking for people who say, yeah, I'm on board. I'm up for this. I'm in for the fun. I don't want to be a consumer. I want to be a contributor. I want to be a witness. I want to be significant. I want to be gerbil man. I want to be a disciple. I want to make a sacrifice that makes a difference. So let's pray right now. And then the band will come up in a second. And uh, we'll, we'll end our service. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you for the... Ah, the privilege that it is to follow you into battle, to fight on the behalf of men and women and children, to have the opportunity to change a city, to change a culture, to move the mission forward. And Lord, we know that contributors move the mission forward, consumers hold it back, and we don't want to hold it back. We want to move it forward. And I want to pray, Lord God, that we would see sacrificial giving that it wouldn't just end with the gifts that we give and the finance that we make available, but that it would lead to our hearts. It would lead to our service. It would lead to our commitment. It would lead to us revolutionizing our Christian experience because you get a hold of us and you send us out into mission. Lord, for the sake of the lost, let us go. Let us reach out. Send us out, Lord God. Send us out, Lord God. Send us out in your name and with your love. In Jesus' name.